sing to the Lord. Praise him through song. Be led by such a great group up here that's leading us in worship. Let's go ahead and pray before we look into the word. Father, we thank you for just the multitude of worship songs that are around our nation and this world because you're so worthy of all the praise that we could come up with and, and more. And Lord, now we pray that you would help us as we look into your scriptures, that it could change our lives, make us better people, help us to show you to others, especially those who do not know you. And Lord, may we benefit greatly from our time here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this February month, we've been talking about love, you know, in honor of uh, Valentine's and all that kind of stuff. And what we saw in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians was that love was the absolute essential ingredient for the Christian life. I mean, you had to have love in the Christian life or it wasn't going to work. And you know, we could be the best looking, wealthiest, most popular, most successful, most highly intelligent, highest achieving, successful business owner, greatest athlete, talented musician, most famous actor, even the winner of the county pickle contest 13 years in a row. That's from the Andy Griffith Show. But the Apostle Paul said, without love, we are nothing. No matter how many accolades you have, no matter how many things you've conquered, no matter how high you've reached on on the pole, Without love, it means nothing. And then the the Apostle Peter said that when we turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are born again of imperishable seed. Not perishable seed like we are when we're born into this world through humanity, but imperishable seed that comes from God, the eternal. And then Peter says... Because of that, because we are now of imperishable seed, we are able to have sincere love for each other. And we can love each other fervently, deeply, because of God's love in us. Peter says it's our calling to love one another deeply and fervently. And then he says, love covers over a multitude of sin. When God's love pervades pervades a church or a family or some community, a group, it can cover over a multitude of sins. You know, when God's love, well, when we don't have God's love and instead you have this turmoil that comes from, you know, having jealousy or pride or self-centeredness, well, that causes a lot of turmoil, doesn't it? But when you have a group that gathers together or a group that lives near each other, or whatever, and there's forgiveness, and love, and kindness, and caring, well, you know, that can cover over a multitude of sin. I said last week, you know, the Beatles 
saying all you need is love. They had the right word. I don't think they had the right meaning behind the word. <clears throat> this morning, I want to talk to uh, go back to the Apostle Paul because he has something very interesting to say about love, more than one place, but we're going to go to one of his talks about love. And it's in the book of Galatians. And I want to start by reading the first verse of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. <clears throat> so, Paul is saying that if they agree to be circumcised, whoop, sorry about that, that comes in a minute. Paul is saying that when you, I know what you're all thinking about now, okay. Paul is saying when you turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that is the ultimate freedom because we've been freed from the power of Satan and we are free now to join with God and end up with him. Because Christ died on the cross to set us free from our bondage to sin, which leads to death. So the ultimate freedom is Christ setting us free. But he's warning here, then do not let yourselves be put into bondage again or burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So what is he talking about there? Well, verse 2 tells us, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So Paul is saying that if they agree to be circumcised, Jesus Christ will have no value in their life. It'll be like they never met him. His sacrifice for sin will not make any difference in their lives if they turn towards circumcision. And his death on the cross will no longer be effective for their salvation. So what is going on? I mean, what is so horrible about circumcision? You know, lots of people circumcise their little boys, don't they? And they've been doing it for decades. Well, <clears throat> circumcision depends upon the context and where, when you've been living. Circumcision was actually something very good and necessary in the Jewish faith. That marked people off as followers of God. It was the right of all Jewish bo baby boys, and that brought them into the family of God in the Jewish faith, part of God's covenant people. Jesus was circumcised. All the Jewish males from Abraham forward were to be circumcised. It was a command to show that they belonged to the family of God and the Jewish nation. <clears throat> so why is Paul telling them, these Christians, that circumcision will actually cut them off from Christ or make Christ of no value to them? Well, you know, it has to do with the difference between the old covenant between God and his Jewish and the chosen people, the Jews, the people of Israel, the difference between them and the new covenant of salvation in Jesus Christ that's open to the whole world. So, 
Look at verses 3 through 6 here. And we'll sort this out. Because it becomes very important to us. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So anyone who at that point would agree to be circumcised, now they're putting themselves under the law, the Jewish law. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, which is how we're saved, right? By grace through faith. For through the Spirit, we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. <clears throat> you see, when people at that time, there were people coming into the churches, the young churches, they were coming from Jerusalem, and we saw that in the book of Acts, and they were telling all these believers who turned to Christ and accepted him as their savior, his death on the cross as their payment, they were telling all these people, no, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law of Moses. And they were convincing some people to do this. And then the new believers, Paul and all, the, all of those, they were you know, about ready to flip a lid over that because that's the exact opposite of the, of the uh, Christian message. And Paul is saying anyone who turns to circumcision for their salvation or turns to the law for their salvation, they've walked away from Jesus Christ because it's Christ that brings salvation. It's trusting in him and his death on the cross to pay for our sins. So Paul is saying, <clears throat> it's through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It's not by works of the law. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, Paul isn't saying nobody should ever be circumcised, you know. Millions of people do it in the United States. He's saying if you turn back to the law for salvation, then you've walked away from Jesus Christ. Because Christ is the answer to salvation. His death on the cross paid for our sins. If we think some work, some ritual is going to help save us, then we're, we're turning away from Christ's sufficient sacrifice. Eternal salvation is through faith in Christ's death. And that faith in God through Christ, he says... Only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So as we come to Christ and we accept his gift of his sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sins and we accept the love that he poured out in that, then we come to him by faith and we express our faith through love, through loving each other. So... <clears throat> The evidence that we have become children of God through faith in Christ is showing love to one another. 
Circumcision was good and necessary when God was dealing with his covenant people, the Jews. That marked them off as his people. But now the way to God is through forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And anyone who tries to earn their salvation through the works of the law or being so good, and you know you ask so many people, and you ask if they're going to heaven, and they'll say, well, I think I've been good enough. Of course, the answer is no one's good enough, right? No one has ever been able to be good enough. No one has ever been able to obey the law perfectly. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Anyone who turns to the law for salvation is rejecting Jesus Christ. And it's faith in his death on the cross that pays for our sins. So now Paul tells how we are to live as those who have freedom through Christ. And it has a lot to do with the indwelling Holy Spirit. So look, we're going to go down to verse 13 through 15. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You know, Christ has set us free through his death on the cross, if we turn to him. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So there it is again. The mark of our salvation is how we love one another and love others. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So after we come to Christ, it's still our choice of what we're going to do and how good we're going to be. But we can build each other up or we can tear each other down. We have to use our freedom in the right way, not to indulge the flesh, but to serve one another in love. Now, this love your neighbor as yourself, that has kind of been hijacked by our society, and people have filled that with kind of an American kind of thought. And what people will say today, I've heard it so many times, people will say, well, you know, I wanted to be able to learn how to love or to love people, but I realized I didn't love myself. So I had to go into this long process of learning how to love myself so that I could now then love others because then I would understand what love is. But that's not what that means. What that means is love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody already knows how to love themselves. Everybody already knows how to put me first That's our inclination. We have to fight that. But loving your neighbor as yourself, since you know how to love yourself, now you know how to love your neighbor. And so what it means is, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're treating your neighbor the way you want to be treated. It's very simple. The gauge on how you should treat your neighbor or anybody else is, how would I like to be treated? And that's what it's all about. We've been called to freedom in Jesus Christ, but not to indulge the flesh, but to serve one another humbly in love. Because the entire command, the entire law is fulfilled in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, um, how do you know how to treat others kindly? Well, you know, we talked about loving your neighbor as yourself and what that actually means. When you were growing up with your brothers and sisters, didn't your parents ever say to you, would you like to be treated like that? Um, they said it to me a lot. <clears throat> I had a little brother. But now, in saying that, there's a legitimate concept. Of, well, as far as loving yourself, there is the legitimate concept of self-respect. And, you know, if you hurt yourself like some people do when, you know, they kind of get off in the wrong way, uh, kind of punish themselves or something, that's not self-respect. We're supposed to respect ourselves because we're made in the image of God and respect others because they're made in the image of God. But the idea of how we should love our neighbor is just, you know, we love our neighbor in the way that we want to be treated. And now he tells, Paul tells us how to walk by the Spirit. And this is an area that can be confusing, but look at verses 16. He tells us not to destroy each other. Verses 16 through 18. And here's how we, we now <clears throat> live in the life of the spirit-controlled person. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So we're, we're talking about being spirit-led here. <clears throat> and it's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So Paul is telling them, telling us to walk by the spirit and not according to the old nature before we became Christian by the flesh, you know, just to do anything we want. Today, you know, in our society, it's moving away from this and it's telling us, you know, that whatever we want is the thing we should do. But Paul says, no, that's not right. He says, the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other. We want a lot of things that aren't good, that aren't, that aren't right with God. He says we are not to do just anything we want. He wants us to be led by the spirit. <clears throat> now, I believe that at, at this time, we also make this a little more difficult than it really is to be led by the spirit. How do we know if it is actually the Spirit leading us or just our flesh? Well, you see, when he says to be led by the Spirit, he's not really talking about making decisions like which job to take, which school should I choose, which person should I marry, should I give this person some money. Really, those aren't things that he's talking about with being led by the Spirit. He's talking about walking by the Spirit as opposed to satisfying the desires of the flesh. That's what he's talking about. So look at verses 19 through 21. <clears throat> and here's how we know. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Are, we going, are you using the flesh or the Spirit? 
acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's not following the Spirit. And in our culture, people are moving towards this because we're supposed to follow ourselves. It's the opposite of what the Bible is saying. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Well, you know, when you look at those acts of the flesh, there's no question about that, is there? I mean, that's just, just wrong stuff. Who'd know that? That's just gratifying the desires of the flesh. But when we walk by the Spirit, it's choosing to do the things that please God. So really, he's not talking about, should I go to this school? Should I go to that school? Should I marry this person? Uh, the acts of the flesh are just giving in to our base nature against the will of God, and being led by the Spirit is choosing to do good, to do kindness, to be faithful. In verse 25, he says, let me go there. So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Now this one is also misinterpreted a lot. People often think, well, am I going ahead of God? Am I doing this too soon? Or am I lagging behind where God wants me to be? If I, am I keeping in step with the Spirit, right, in his pace? But that's not really what it means. Uh, and it often causes people anxiety because they think, well, I want to get married, but is, is, am I in step with the Spirit? You know, I'd like to buy this house, but, you know, is, this, is the Spirit leading me this way? Uh, should we start a family? I don't know if the Spirit's telling me. But look again at 25 and 26. <clears throat> He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So you see, he's not talking about, should I do it today or tomorrow? Should I buy this house or that house? It's, it, you know, that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about the right behavior. Keeping in step with the Spirit is living according to the Spirit's leading, which is do right and not do wrong. Be loving, not be hateful. Be caring, not be uncaring. That's the leading of the Spirit. So Christ has set us free from the impossibility of keeping the law of Moses. Our righteousness comes from Christ himself. We are to follow Christ. We are to place our faith in him and his sacrifice for our righteousness. And it isn't the law that is going to bring us freedom and eternal life. It is faith expressing itself in love. 
love, the way we love, shows us what faith is inside of us. And it's living by the Spirit of God. And that means serving one another humbly in love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. Walk by the Spirit and you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other, we read in, in the scripture. The flesh leads us to all kinds of selfishness and dissensions and debauchery. The Spirit leads us to love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, reject conceit, provoking, and envying each other. Now you might <clears throat> say, well, what about these decisions I have to make? Well, the Bible tells us to go to good counsel. And people who, you know, if you're living according to the Holy Spirit, through, you know, doing good, through turning to Christ, through your prayer time, through into the Bible, that gives you wisdom. But you can still go to others who have, you know, knowledge in the area that you're thinking about. <clears throat> and that's just wisdom. And so the thing that I've just seen that has kind of, you know, in a sense bothered me is that when people get so anxious over something because they want to do something, but they don't know if God wants them to do it or not. And basically, if it's a wrong thing to do, God doesn't want you to do it. If it's the right thing to do, God says, great, do it. And there may be times, you know, it's better than others. That's when you seek counsel. But I don't think we have to get all nervous and anxious about things, thinking, you know, I really want to do this. I'm just not sure if God wants me to do it. I, I don't think, you know, I don't think the Bible says that. And so I think we can just relax on those things. And if we've made the right decisions, if we've been wise in how we've handled our money or whatever it is, <clears throat> then I think we can go forward with good counsel and, you know, just honoring God. And then, really, if we follow these, that is how we know that Christ has truly set us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it teaches us so much. We thank you for, you know, your spirit that guides us and leads us and helps us. We thank you for just all that you've done for us, Christ on the cross, his resurrection for our salvation. We thank you that you have served us in so many wonderful ways. And we pray, Lord, that we could continue to be faithful to you, look to you, uh, receive help from each other, encouragement in the faith, treat others kindly. And then, Lord, we know that we're pleasing you when we, we do those things and we are being led by the Spirit. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.